Welcome to the LC Parent Podcast, where we get real about the struggles, victories, and laughs we share as parents. All right. I am so pumped. I'm really excited. You know, I am so fortunate to have so many great friends in ministry that love the emerging generation, love partnering with parents. And today I get to introduce you to a great friend of mine, Will Hutcherson. Um, Will is going to be with us, but you know, first you may not know who I am. I am Allie Evans and I'm the next gen pastor at Life Church, which means I've gotten to be a part of leading kids in student ministry for a long time, uh, close to 19 years at this point. And uh, well, really partner with you guys, the parents of our church, um, and help you find great ways to connect with your kids and lead them uh, spiritually. Ultimately, you're in the driver's seat of your child's spiritual development, and that can seem really daunting and scary. Uh, and, but the great news is you're not supposed to do it on your own. Partner with us as the church. We're excited that you're joining us for this episode of the LC Parents Podcast. And um, again, I want to I want to introduce you to my friend, Will Hutcherson. Will, thank you so much for being here with us. Thanks, Allie. It's good to hang with you. Um, Will is a next-gen pastor at an awesome church in Florida, right there by the Wellington campus. We're so cool. We're neighbors. Yeah, we're not too far. We're, we're just a short drive away. Yeah, that's awesome. And tell us the name of your church. Journey Church, Lake Worth, Journey Florida. Church. Very good, very good. And in addition to being in ministry for years and leading the emerging generation and partnering with parents as well, Will has started and been running a nonprofit organization in which he has the opportunity to speak in public schools, speak with students, parents, teachers, educators about the issue of, of really bringing hope. Um, and uh, he's very passionate about helping students, young people overcome despair and some of the challenges that they face in their lives. And so, Will, I cannot thank you enough for taking some time out to be with us today. Absolutely. I'm glad to do it. You know, it's funny. One of the things that you're going to talk about today is the value of conversation. And I'm going to let you get to that. But it's funny. I want to share something with our listeners that um, prior to us starting the recording of this particular episode, we, you're in Florida, I'm in Oklahoma. So we had an option of recording this without being able to see each other's facial expressions because we're obviously not in the same room. Um, and so for a moment, I thought, you know what, I don't need to, I don't need to, he doesn't need to see me, I don't need to see him. But the truth is, there's so much value in how we communicate with each other beyond our words. And just seeing your face on the computer screen is, is actually really important to how I'm going to respond to you, how I feel like you're valuing me. Um, there's a lot to be said for that. So I'm glad <laughs> that when we started this, I was like, wait a minute. Yes, I definitely want to see Will. I want us to be able to see each other and engage that way. So it's interesting that we had that interaction before we start to talk about something uh, beyond just the words that we use when we speak to each other or head nods, but really the whole of what it means to communicate and be in real conversation with people. So Will, talk to me a little bit about why it is that you're so passionate about this? What, what specifically is it about bringing hope to this emerging generation that's important? Well, you know, Ali, you and I have been friends for quite a few years now. And so I was, you know, a next-gen pastor for, you know, since 2013. I was a student pastor prior to that. And in 2000, I want to say 2016, 2017, I really started to 
become concerned about what I was seeing in our teenage population that we were starting to see across the board. And I remember we had conversations about this, how we were watching a rise in uh, suicide. We were watching a rise in depression and anxiety symptoms. And I remember feeling as a next gen pastor, almost like, what can I do about this? Like, I know that there's power in prayer and I know that there is power in seeking God's face on behalf of those who are in, you know, really dark places. But I also had parents coming to me and saying, what can we do? Like, what are practical things that we can do to help our kids when they're facing these things? And I didn't have a whole lot to tell them. You know, I didn't know what, what tools existed. And um, it, it became a problem that I was concerned about. And then it became a problem that I was alarmed over and a problem that I felt really compelled to do something about because it, I believe that this is the problem for this next generation. Um, if you think back, you know, decades ago, uh, we, we looked at at-risk behavior as the number one problem within the teenage population. You know, if you were a parent and you're listening, maybe you were in youth group or church in the 90s or the 80s, you heard your youth pastor preaching sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? It was all about say no to this, say no to this, burn your cassette tapes, you know, <laughs> don't, don't listen to boys to men and, uh, you know, all those secular, <laughs> secular artists. And, and, that, and the, the good reason why is because at-risk behavior was the problem. We were seeing teen pregnancy was very high in the early 90s. We were seeing a whole lot of negative outcomes from that kind of behavior. Well, fast forward, since 2000, sexual um, activity amongst teenagers has actually dropped since 1991, 40%. Wow. So we're seeing actually things moving in a good direction in some ways. However, at the same time, we're seeing this rise in despair. We're seeing this rise in depression. And the most alarming part about this is in the last 10 years, we've seen suicide rates double amongst teenagers. Wow. Which means... Uh, there's a new problem attacking the next generation. There's a new enemy. And as I've talked to parents, even as I talk to, to teachers and educators and pastors, um, we all kind of feel these, these similar emotions. You know, what can we do against this invisible enemy? And, and in some ways we feel powerless, right? Some, in some ways we feel like there's nothing we can do other than encourage them with, you know, prayers and remind them how good things are. And, and, and at times it can feel like it's just not enough. And I would say every, every parent, um, every educator, every, every pastor has uh, asked this question, what can we do against this invisible enemy that's coming against the next generation? Right. You know, here's something that I love. As a matter of fact, I lead a, a small group of students. So as a volunteer at my church, I'm just, I'm, passionate enough that it's not just my work, it's what I, I love to do just as a Christ follower is to partner with parents by leading a small group of, of middle school girls. And just last night, I'm texting with these girls. These, also this generation um, is incredibly empowered. They're very entrepreneurial. They have lots of great ideas. They are difference makers. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because within this group of, of 16 girls, there are at one time or another, they're all struggling with all the things you're describing, Will. Um, yeah. I've talked to them all about anxiety, depression. I've talked to them about uh, 
in fact, I had one of our students who um, said she was ready to end her life. And so I've, I've had those come. And at the same time, in the same group, I've got these kids who are creative and creators. You know, they're one of them is making a design for our, our student ministry shirt for next year. You know, they're just they're they are fantastic. They're smart. They're leaders. They're empowered. And so what you're describing is, is how you know, we want to be able to tap into all of those things that God has gifted this generation with. Um, and so, gosh, um, it's, it's heartbreaking to recognize, like you said, those external behaviors seem to have taken a turn for the better. Now we're battling, like you said, sort of this hidden enemy. Um, yeah. And uh, the, the good news is, although Satan can be crafty, he doesn't win. That's so right. talk to us about how can parents win in the, you know what, first let's do this. How do I know that my, my kid is not just being the quote air quotes, you know, typical teenager. Um, they're all, she's always in her room. She's always on her phone. He's always on video games, you know, what have you, how do, what does it look like if my child is beginning to experience some of this despair? Well, I think the, the differentiation there is the word despair rather mm-hmm. than depression or okay. um, even suicidal, because I, I want to take the pressure off of every parent, pastor, and any caring adult that's listening and just say, you don't have to diagnose your kid or your teenagers that you're responsible for. You don't have to diagnose them and figure out whether they have depression or not. Clinical awesome. depression is a real thing and it's a real problem. And we need to have a wraparound approach to solve that. But what I've found is when you talk to mental health counselors, you'll have so many parents and um, teenagers come in to the office of a counselor and they'll say, I'm depressed or I have depression. And when I've talked to those mental health counselors about those responses, I said, how many of those are right? Like, give me a percentage of what you would say in this self-diagnosis of depression. And most counselors have told me like 20% are right, 30% are right. Which means we're self-diagnosing ourselves with clinical depression when we don't really have clinical depression. <laughs> and, and what we have is we have situational despair or we have situational, quote unquote, depression. And that's, that's temporary. That's, that's a, you know, feelings of, of sadness or feelings of, of isolation, I, you know, pulling away from relationships. The reason why that's so important to differentiate is every single one of us can relate. Because we've all faced despair at some point or another. So how do you know if your kid is experiencing clinical depression or just a level of despair? Well, at the end of the day, it all starts with despair. Even clinical depression is despair. And I'll debunk one more myth. The myth that depression causes suicide. Depression doesn't cause suicide. It may contribute to suicide along with other mental health factors. But depression alone doesn't cause suicide. Despair is the number one common denominator to anyone who's ever attempted or completed suicide. They've felt despair. So that's why it's so important to talk about despair rather than depression, because we all have faced despair to some degree or another, whether it was just for a day or an hour or a longer period of time. But we all know that feeling, that feeling like there's no light at the end of the tunnel, the feeling that we're trapped, the feeling that that we don't know how to get out of this, this pit that we find ourselves in. And 
if we can think for a moment of, of that feeling and we can empathize with those who are in despair to whatever degree that is, then we can maybe make a connection that's more than just, you know, how are you feeling today? You know, Ooh. or how are you doing today rather? Um, and rather ask the question, how are you feeling? What, what's the emotion behind that? Um, so how do you know? I, I would say there are some basic signs you can look at. I mean, there are, um, there's certain risk factors, you know, there are suicidal thoughts or ideation is a, definitely a big one. You know, if you start to see right. that, I would say, you know, take this, uh, uh, quite a few steps further, um, I would also say, you know, look for symptoms of depression, you know, feeling sad or feeling hopeless, um, lethargy, you know, clinical depression is very physical in many ways, but so is feelings of despair, um, feelings of worthlessness, you know, not feeling good enough. Um, and then what do you do in those moments? I would say if you're, if you're dealing with despair where you're just seeing your teenager or someone you care about going through um, just this, you know, feelings of despair, and I'll explain that more in a little bit, then there are certainly things that you can do to help them to heal from despair. But if you're seeing somebody who has a plan to kill themselves, like they are suicidal and they're saying some really concerning things, you know, of, I just don't want to be here anymore. And especially if they have a plan to not be here anymore, then you have to take very clear actions to help intervene. Um, the first thing is, I would say, stay calm. Um, for parents, the first thing that we go to is we want to talk them out of why they feel the way that they feel. So we want to say things like, you shouldn't feel that way. You know, you have such a good life. I mean, think about all the people that love you, you know, think about, you know, how I love you or think about how this is going to make so-and-so feel so sad. You know, if you're not here, like there's so much to look forward to. We think that's helpful, but actually oftentimes it produces guilt uh, for the teenager. Mm. Because the emotion they feel is, see, I am broken. I shouldn't feel that way. They feel guilt. They feel shame. And so the best response, if you ever have a teenager that says, I want to kill myself, or especially, you know, especially if there's, I have a plan to kill myself, the best response is, I hate that you feel that way. And it hurts my heart, but I want you to know I love you and I'm with you. you know, so express your emotion. Express how you feel. But also let them know that you just simply love them. Don't, don't tell them that, you know, they shouldn't feel that way. Um, and then the second thing I would say is get help. Don't go at it alone. Um, you know, like I said before, we don't have to diagnose our kids, but we also don't have to, you know, get our kids help by ourselves. Like we can get, we can get help. I am a firm believer in counseling. I think counseling is very effective. I think uh, that's why small groups are so effective in churches is because it's in some ways talk therapy. It's, it's yeah. connection. It's us having conversations. And the key to all of this is conversation. So even when you're in a deep place of despair to the place that leads you to wanting to kill yourself, the solution, at least one of the main solutions, is still conversations. So conversations are key no matter which which place we're in, whether we're healthy to stay healthy, conversations are the key, or whether at a place of deep despair, conversations are a key to get back to a place of health. And then the last thing I would say for parents is stay on top of it. If your kid is at that level of despair where they're having suicidal thoughts, stay on top of it, continue to, um, to just connect with them. I, I think about one dad who, when, they, when he found out how his son was feeling, he started to do his work 
you know, take his laptop in and do some work in his son's bedroom while his son was doing his homework. And the response that he said to his son was, well, as long as you feel this way, I just want you to know you're not alone. Oh, wow. And he was just present. He just figured out ways to just be overly present. Now, Mm -hmm. your teenager might not respond great to that, you know, like, I don't want you, you know. Get out of here. But they definitely will feel the love of that kind of, you know, action and you're leaning in. So stay calm. Be present. You know, get help and just be present. Yeah. Well, you and I have talked about this a lot. There was a, um, a a portion of what you've talked to me about I thought was so intriguing because all of this is really a science. There's a lot going on in our brains related to our feelings. And I think a lot of times people want to separate those things. You're either a thinker or a feeler. You know, there's no never the, you know, tween shall meet or whatever, whatever the phrase yeah. is. But whatever that is, there is a science and they're very interconnected. Um, talk to me about the right le- right brain, left brain thing. I don't know if I'm segueing into this at all very well, but I'd love this part because there's something about understanding the science of our brains that makes me not feel so um, like, I, man, I'm just, I, I don't understand how to connect with my teenager. Understanding right. the science helps me ground myself. And that, so, that's the greatest part of this is that there's always hope. And the reason why there's hope is because we have a heavenly father, whether you believe that or not, that created us to be able to heal. Come on. And so you're right. When you look at how we're created and how we're wired, you look at the brain and you look at the brain as a function and it's something that God created and something goes wrong when despair takes place. Well, what's going on? Well, let's simplify this. So you have many parts of your brain, but for simplification reasons, I'm going to break it off into two parts. So you have your right side of your brain and your left side of your brain. So wherever you're listening right now, I just want you to picture your brain in two parts. You have your right side, your left side. And if you want, maybe you just hold them in your hands, you know, like imagine you're holding a (laughs) brain in your hand, uh, one in your right hand, one in your left hand. Your right side is your emotional processing and your left side is predominantly where your logical processing takes place. So your right side is also where your fight or fight, fight or flight mechanisms exist. So this would be, you know, you experience some type of emotional reaction, maybe something scary, and your right side of your brain goes into to overdrive. It becomes very activated. Blood flow shifts to the right side of the brain and cortisol levels, a stress hormone, shoots way up. And what happens is that for the purpose of survival, your brain kind of detaches from logical processing. You almost go into instinct mode of fight or flight. What's the emotional processing? What happens over time when you have consistent stressors or um, rejection or hurt or abandonment or whatever takes place in our world, cortisol levels can continue to drip and this despairing takes place between the right and the left side of the brain. So think of despair as a dispairing, where the right side and the left side of the brain become separated. This is why those in despair, when you ask them how they feel, oftentimes the response is, I don't know, or I feel numb, because they have all this emotional energy in the right side of their brain, but they're not sure how to logically put it into words. They're not sure how to process out these emotions. And so this is where you have this separation the separation creates prolonged despair. But here's the cool thing. God has wired our brains to respond to love and empathy. 
And what brings the two sides back together and helps to emotionally exhaust all of that emotional energy is love and empathy. It's, it's feeling felt that when you feel that somebody else feels you, like understands you at a deep feeling level, the two sides begin to come back together and despair decreases. And in a healthy functioning brain, you have your right side and your left side, they're kind of firing simultaneously. In a brain that's undergoing a lot of despair or you know depression, then the two sides are kind of separated out. You have all this emotional energy. It's, it's almost like, and here's another way I can explain this. Imagine taking a big breath of air and not being able to exhale it. we have to help kids to emotionally exhale and when they can emotionally exhale that's when the two sides come back together and despair decreases wow okay that's really cool so practically speaking i wanted to go back to something earlier when i asked you what does it look like whenever um a young person in our life is experiencing despair and some of those things and I noticed that what you said was over and over, you said feelings of, feelings yes. of, feelings of. So what that's telling me is, is that as an adult in a young person's life, we can't just observe with our eyes. We really need to ask and have conversation because I would need to, I would need to ask you a question to know how you feel, right? right. I would need to say, Hey, what's going on? How are you feeling? And you yeah. mentioned that earlier. So what does that look like? How can a parent or a small group leader or whatever, a, an adult in a young person's life, a caring adult, how can they bridge that gap and help that repairing? Yeah. So the science behind this is what psychologists would call the, the attunement psychology. So when you connect with someone on an emotional level, you attune with them. Like think of attunement as being like in sync or in harmony, in one of chord, right? And, you know, if you have a best friend, you kind of feel that, that in syncness, right? You feel that, that attunement, you know, it's like, I can complete your sentences because we're just, we're so connected. Mm-hmm. That kind of psychology, that attunement psychology is what leads to feeling felt. When there's a deep connection with two individuals, you, you feel felt and despair decreases. Now, the good news is, is that parents have this ability better than anyone. I, I like to think of like parents are like the superheroes of, of despair because um, of this attunement psychology or rather attachment theory. Parents have the ability to reroute the brain in a child back to places of nurturing uh, centers and memories uh, faster than anyone. And, and it's all through this connection. So I, I've taken this attunement psychology and we, we've modeled a group of uh, counselors and uh, educators and communicators. We've kind of taken this, this acronym called Attune Tools. And there are six really easy practical tools to just exercise this attunement, to connect with somebody on a deep level, to have conversations, to help them to feel felt. And so I can share those six tools with yes. you really quick. And then share them, yeah, share them. You have them. So the first one is to attend. And we kind of already hit on this, but it's that idea of being present, to pay attention to, to watch for signs of despair, to start asking questions when, when you start feeling your, your kind of spidey sense go off, if you will, you know, you, you just, you're, you're just present and you can't attune without presence. You can't attune without presence. And and I would say, you know, right now we're in this 
in the middle of this COVID-19, you know, pandemic. And you, you mentioned it, you know, we're looking at each other through a, a computer screen. And a lot of us have experienced that over the course of the last, you know, few weeks and months. We have to continuously, no matter what, find ways to be present. Even if it means we can't physically be present, but we can still, like you said, see each other eye to eye, at least on a screen. This, in some ways, is still us being present to the best of our ability. And because you can see my facial expressions, you're not just hearing my words, you're also feeling a little bit of my emotion. Like you can tell when, mm-hmm. when my face cringes and my eyebrows go down. And you can tell, like, I'm there's moments even when I was talking where my heart was sad as I was thinking mm-hmm. about how people in depression feel. You felt that emotion because you can right. see me. We have to see people in order to feel them. That's good. So that's the first one. That's a, really a good. Mm-hmm. The second one um, is is tone. And th- this kind of relates to uh, the first one, that not all of your communication is, is words. It's not what you're saying, but it's how you're saying it. For parents, um, you know that this is true. I mean, there's a big difference between looking at your kid and saying, I love you, you know? Right. And I love you, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're, you, you can't see me, but you can even hear my tone and my tone matters because my tone is going to create different emotions and different feelings and different reactions to how you're perceiving my words. And so we have to be mindful of our tone. Here's the problem. The problem is, is as parents, we are really, really busy ourselves and we have our own things that we're working through. And if our stress levels are through the roof and we're getting triggered by our own kids, or even if we have past trauma and our kids are triggering us because of things that they're saying or things that they're doing, our tone can quickly uh, become unraveled. And um, and I don't say this to make you feel any more parent guilt than you have, because every single parent has felt that emotion. Every single parent has had an interaction with their kid and we walked away and we say, I blew that one. Like, I did not do that right. And I'm not saying that you have to be perfect. I'm not even saying that you have to have the perfect tone every time. But what I am saying, if we want to help our kids when they're in despair, we have to be very mindful of how we speak to them. And we have to be very mindful of our own health. So if you want to use this tool to the fullest extent, and to control your tone, then you have to take care of yourself. I encourage parents to spend time, you know, if they're, if you're a believer and you, you follow Jesus, spend time praying every day, spend time journaling and reflecting even that's very, very helpful. Sometimes we pray and we only give God our requests. Sometimes we need to give God our emotions and our feelings. God, here's how I feel about this. And maybe I shouldn't feel this way because it's not Christian of me, but this is just how I feel about that. And that is very, very important for us to acknowledge and to exhaust it out ourselves. Remember, you're a human being too. You have to exhaust your emotions as well. So tone really, really matters. The next T is talk. Talk, we've already talked about the importance of conversation. We have to help them to talk. Now, I would say when you're talking to not just talk yourself, but for them to talk and for you to listen Um, and focus on feelings, things like, uh, well, how do you feel right now? And maybe your kid would say, I don't know. I like to give them like seven words, you know, whenever they say they don't know. You know, I like to say, well, do you feel exhausted? Do you feel hurt? 
Maybe you feel afraid or ashamed. Do you feel lonely? I've had some kids when I've asked them that, they go, I don't know. I feel all of them. I said, Ooh. well, just, just pick one. Just pick one. And they go, well, I feel hurt. And here's my response. Anytime they acknowledge an emotion, here's my response every time. Tell me about it. That's good. Just tell me about it. Just tell me, tell me about it or tell me more. And just get them to exhaust the emotion. That's this good. isn't a perfect science, but anytime you get a window to help a kid exhaust emotion, take it and use feeling words. Don't let them fall into belief words though. You know, sometimes they'll say things like, well, I feel stupid. Um, and anytime they say that, then my response is, well, that's a belief, not a feeling. So why do you feel stupid? What's the, what's the feeling behind the, the belief? That's um, good. So that, that's important. Uh, the next tool is unplug. So this is the, the, the you part of the attune tools. Unplug looks like finding time and space where there's no screens and there's no technology. Now, I can spend a lot of time talking through all the research behind this, um, and you could do the research on your own. But um, consistent screen time and entertainment just overload uh, is not beneficial to our, our emotional well-being um, and our mental health. So we have to find time to unplug. Now, I'm not saying that social media is the enemy. However, social media can be very, very damaging uh, for a teenager's self-esteem. It can be very damaging for their relational connection. It, it can be very damaging. So all that to say is we just have to help them create boundaries. So mm -hmm. boundaries are the key when it comes to screens. Good. Um, the next one is N, to notice. Now, when you notice, I would say notice the emotion. Notice the emotion. I like to say that it's important to um, kind of notice the emotion first, then loop back around to the logical. So let's say your kid comes home from school. She's really upset. I failed my test. Can't believe it. Uh, you know, and as a parent, we want to say, well, of course you failed your test. You didn't study last night when I kept harping you to go in your room and study and you wanted to talk to your friends and you were on Snapchat and blah, blah, blah. And so, well, now you've learned and you'll do better next time, right? We go logical processing. The problem is we fly by their emotions. Mm. So I'm not saying that we don't give them logical processing. I'm just saying we don't give it to them first. You know, Good. see the emotion first. See the emotion first. Like, uh, you know, she comes in, she's disappointed, she's upset. You say, I can see you're really disappointed. I'm, I'm really sorry. Here, sit down. Tell me about it. So you felt like your teacher wasn't, you know, giving you a fair shot, you know, let them just exhaust the emotion. Is it ridiculous? Yes. Are you thinking in the back of your head? This is your fault. Of course you are. But you don't have to say that right there. Say it later after they've exhausted the emotion, <laughs> loop back around to logical. That's and then so the great. Last, the last tool is eye contact. Um, eye contact studies are showing more and more and more the power of eye contact. This is why in this digital world that we're in right now, and we're kind of all fo focused on, uh, or we have to, you know, connect digitally, why video is so important, because uh, at least we're getting a little bit more eye contact than we would um, if we didn't have some type of video conferencing. But eye contact um, has the power to reroute the brain back to early attachment, and um, especially from a parent. So there's a lot of research in there. I don't want to bore you with all the details, but there's a, a lot of power to eye contact, just simply seeing them. Even when they walk in the room and you know, you're watching TV, just pause the TV for a minute and just look at them and say, hey, how you doing? You know, One minute, one minute before they walk out the door, look them in the eye and just say, I love you. And I want you to know you're blah, blah, blah. You know, eye contact and affirming words can be very, very powerful, especially over time. That is so great. Okay, so attend, 
tone, talk, unplug, notice, and eye contact. I, I feel like you could do an episode on each of those six, Will. Those yes. are, are so powerful. Yeah. But you know what I love about this, Will, is that that's not difficult. You know, no. it we're so rushed. And even just the last one, eye contact, just jump in front of the TV or the screen and just dead eye lock them for a second and just grab them by the shoulders. I love you. It's good to see you today or whatever. It's not, it's that part's not hard. Now you and I both know that a lot of teenagers are going to give this, Oh gosh, mom, stop, you know, dad, grow, stop, you know, but Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it's worth it. Right. If that's, if that's all I'm going to get is the, Oh mom, stop. I'm in. So yeah. Um, and they gosh. will protest, but they they will feel something, guaranteed. Yes. And they seem oversimplified, but our brains are wired to respond to love and empathy, no matter what. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. Um, it's funny. I have two adult daughters, and they both are at the age now where they have come back and said the thing that people tell you that you're, te- you know, when your kids are teenagers, like, my kid's never going to say that. But, Mom, I really appreciated that you blank you know, that you took time out. And I know I protested, but I'm thankful. And so those, those things are great. Um, Will, you and I have talked about a book, all that you're saying is so great. And I love to always have a resource to recommend for our parents. What is a great resource we could recommend for them? So a great book that really focuses on conversation is Reclaiming Conversations by Sherry Turkle. Sherry is a um, I believe she's a, a professor out in Southern California, but she wrote a great book on how to just reclaim conversations that we as the older generation, we understand a time when conversations were all we did. I mean, I think about my grandparents, like they went to people's houses, they had tea, they had cookies, they conversated. That's not even a word. Right. They conversed uh, in, in the living room for hours on end because they knew how to have conversations. We have to teach the next generation how to have conversations. And it's a That's great awesome. resource. Great. Thank you so much. We are out of time already. It's crazy. I can't, it doesn't even feel like all that you said was so great. Um, I do want to reserve the right to invite you back. Would you thank be you. willing? Okay. I would love that. <laughs> great. Um, listen, parents, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day and listening uh, to my great friend, Will Hutcherson. And I just hope that your time on the treadmill today or your time sitting on your back porch, drinking coffee, spending time with us. I, I hope that that was valuable to you. Uh, I have had such the blessed opportunity of bringing some amazing guests onto the podcast. I would love it if you would subscribe to the LC Parents podcast on your favorite platform and just listen. You know, these these folks, I have the opportunity just to host them and I, I kind of just sit and learn right along with you guys. So, um, man, as we're saying right now, generally, Will, when I close out our podcast, I say, we'll see you this weekend at church. But during this season, I'm saying, hey, We'll see you this weekend online.